Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. Their mission for the last 17 years has been to increase awareness of energy-efficient and environmentally friendly vehicles. The Green Grand Prix's goal is to work towards making the Northeast a center for advanced vehicle technologies. This STEM program has brought in over 150 high school and university students from all over, and the focus is on technology, innovation, and new collaboration in the field of alternative-fueled vehicles. With us tonight are Robert Gillespie and Jason Kellogg from the Green Grand Prix to share the evolution and future of this program and how you can get involved. So welcome to Break Fix, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So like every good Break Fix story, there's always an origin. So tell us about the history of the Green Grand Prix. As we said in the intro, it's been around for 17 years, but many of us are hearing about this for the first time. So where did the idea come from and how did the program get off the ground? Uh, that's a great question because there's another little factoid. It's very much unknown, and that is that the world land speed record was battled for back in 1899 by two electric cars. It ended up with the winner being Camille Janatse, and he had a car that was shaped like a torpedo, totally electric, two electric motors, went 65 miles an hour. Just astounding. So the Green Grand Prix started before other forms of Grand Prix racing, I suppose. As far as I'm concerned, the idea came from a national SCCA Sports Car Club of America champion. His name is Oscar Kowaleski, very well known. I do artwork of the Watkins Glen races. I had shown my artwork regularly at the track. Everybody meets Oscar. He was very congenial. He would come up and he knew that I was a retired teacher. And he says, Gillespie, you're a teacher. What are you doing for the kids? Well, I was just selling my artwork, trying to make a few bucks. And he kept saying this every year. Then there was an event in Saratoga called the Tour de Sol that was a mini version of a road rally done around a park that had electric vehicles and alternate fueled vehicles. It went belly up back in uh, 2004. Well, I was a volunteer on the last Tour de Sol. When that was canceled the following year, I thought, well, you know, maybe I could do something like that at Watkins Glen. Maybe I could bring together some organizations. I knew a lot of people, people in the Sports Car Club of America, people at the International Motor Racing Research Center, later the Seneca Lake Pure Waters Association, which was a charity, knocked heads together, and we decided that we could put together an event, which actually it started out being a static car display on the Watkins Glen courthouse lawn. We had five vehicles on display and we were talking about doing laps around the old Watkins Glen circuit. Well, that never happened, but we began by having a road rally around the perimeter of Seneca Lake, which was about 80 miles. And we ran that for a few years. And then I think it was 2014, we were invited by the racetrack to come up and hold it there. So everybody was delighted and thanked them very much. They charged us nothing to use the track. By the way, they still do. We're very appreciative of them. Toyota is our major sponsor. They've been absolutely wonderful. So we moved up to Watkins Glen International about 2014. 
it has kept evolving since then. So Bob, one of the other things you mentioned in all this is your artwork. So little known fact, you're actually responsible for a lot of the murals in downtown Watkins Glen? Yes, all except one. There's a NASCAR mural that was just done last year or the year before. I didn't do that one. That's kind of like a beer commercial or something, but that's not mine. I did the one that's got the Cunningham and the Ferrari. And then I did the one of Bill Milliken's Bugatti, which is on the building just south of it. So Jason, how about you? Tell us how you got involved in this origin story of the Green Grand Prix. How do you play into this? I actually work for Alfred State College. I'm an automotive instructor. I didn't come along until about 2016. And about that same time, we also started an autocross event on the track. So the morning is a rally. The afternoon is an autocross event. So we're doing what we can to get students involved, experience alternate fuel, electric, hybrid vehicles, learn the technology they're going to be working on in the near future. And there's another component to the history of the Green Grand Prix, and that's in the story behind Doris Beauvais. So why is she so important to this event? Doris Beauvais was a Glen Region SCCA member. She was a faithful rallyist and she was a teacher. She worked in a public school. She was a lifetime educator and she was also an environmentalist. I found out about that foundation, found out about Doris Beauvais through a great friend of mine. His name is Dave Davies and and he's in the Glen region. So they have been sponsoring us forever. (laughs) We continue the things that she cared about because the event has evolved to serve auto tech students. It's environmentally minded and we have a rally. All the things that represented Doris. Do you both personally own or drive an alternative fuel vehicle? I got a 2018 Prius. And I've had three Prii and I've put 240,000 miles on my first two Priuses. I got about 85,000 miles on this one now, but I plan to drive it for the next few years. I do not own one yet, but like I said, I do teach it. I'm also a uh, GM tech for the last 20 years. I have been trained at the dealership. I've worked on them at the dealership. I've serviced quite a few of them. I teach them and work with this event. So I, I appreciate the technology. So what's the overall expectation for the students? Have they been working up to this throughout the years? There's some sort of curriculum that backs this up. Obviously, this is grounded as a STEM program. So are there hands-on exercises? Are there things they're working on? What's the takeaway here for people that maybe want to try this for the first time? My class is senior automotive students getting ready to graduate in May. And with newer technologies, I mean, they're going to be working on these cars in the field as soon as they graduate. I actually have a four-week course that I teach where students learn the safety aspects of the vehicle, all of the high-voltage issues, proper safety gear, all the way to removing the high-voltage batteries, putting them back in, uh, taking the drive lines apart. So in class, in the fall semester, they've learned how to work on the cars, and this event gives them an opportunity to drive them on the road. Say two-thirds of my students, three-quarters of them, have never driven a hybrid. Probably 90% have not driven an electric car. So this gives them a chance to experience a little bit more than normal what they're going to be working on. I've had faculty from other schools that have competed saying that they use this really as kind of a hot dog to hang in front of the wagon in their course. They tell them, you know, in the spring, you're going to be able to go to the Green Grand Prix. And so you need to learn this and learn that. And our students attend the event, compete with it. And our students assist running the event. Our students act as 
tech inspectors, transponder workers, autocross workers, etc. So we compete in it and we help run it. And uh, they all look forward to driving. I mean, everybody wants to drive on the Watkins Glen track. And somebody who gets to drive for an hour and a half or two hours, how can it get any better than that? Within the next month, my students will be going through all the cars we have. The building that I'm working in, we have three classes, 15 students a class. Each class is going to have two cars to run, and they're going to go through car prep before we get there. So be checking the vehicle condition, making sure it's safe, performing alignments, maximizing angles, stuff like that. And they're learning that you can't just show up the track and compete. We have to make sure we're going to pass tech inspection for the morning event, tech inspection for autocross. we got to make sure we're legit. Nothing's going to fail. As we talk about the evolution of the program over the 17 years, you keep mentioning the rally. Jason briefly talked about the autocross, but it's held at Watkins Glen. So how does this all work? Is there a rally at the track? Are they doing laps of the track? Obviously, there's autocross lots at the track. So how does this event play out over the course of the weekend? Uh, it was just a road rally, and we figured out a way to do it on the racetrack itself. It's interesting because it's a road rally, time, speed, distance event that is run on a world-famous Grand Prix circuit. Usually takes place on opening weekend of Watkins Glen on a Friday before opening weekend. The morning event, basically 10 to noon, is a on-track event. It's time distance. It's about 80 miles, give or take. We're on the track for two hours. There's different classes for different vehicles, four-cylinder hybrid, six-cylinder, you know, different alternate fuels, different versions of Toyota Priuses. Students are timed on their laps, so the drivers with the most number of perfect laps will win certain categories and best fuel mileage wins other categories. So it's not truly bumper to bumper racing, it's time distance. And it's got that fuel economy aspect. So we yeah. judge these vehicles on two sets of rules. One is how consistent their lap times were. We hang transponders on the cars and so we know their time's down to a thousandth of a second. And then also we can monitor their fuel economy. Most of the cars that are in the event have onboard computers that tell the miles per gallon. But if a car does not have an onboard computer, then we require them to top off their tank before and after the event. We can measure how many miles they traveled. And then from that, we get to their fuel economy. So are you using Watkins Glen full course, the NASCAR variant? How is the rally laid out if you're using the track itself? For years, we used the NASCAR short track. Last year, we used the long course. Of course, that's got all the elevation changes and it introduced a new challenge. This year, we're going to use the bus stop also. So we'll be using the, the whole thing. So is the idea then to maximize the fuel efficiency by, let's say, hypermiling or something like that? I'm trying to figure out what the perfect lap is. You guys mentioned that a couple of times. So <laughs> how do you qualify that? For example, the average speed is limited to about 45 miles an hour. And the last few years, we've been announcing at the event what the speed's actually going to be to throw another challenge into it. Well, the elevation changes, you're allowed about a 10 mile an hour range difference. You can go uphill a little bit slower, downhill a little bit faster to gain speed to work your fuel mileage to your advantage, but we have to keep the lap times perfect. The morning event, we have a driver and a co-driver in the car. The co-driver can use a stopwatch, fix points around the track to help calculate their time, try to ensure the perfect lap. All of this has to be done on a single tank of fuel. Like there's no yeah. pit stops here, right? But they're still running for two hours straight. Well, mm -hmm. they do have one pit stop, but that doesn't involve refueling. It's basically a potty break. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but that pit stop has to measure four minutes exactly from the time they enter the pits until they're at the pit exit. Even the pit stop is a challenge. It's got to be done just right. Let's dig a little deeper now. So you talked about the cars themselves. Now, are these cars that are provided by, let's say, Toyota? Or are these cars that the students have built sort of like a Formula SEAE type of program? So most of these cars are stock cars supplied by whoever's going to drive them. You know, if they can borrow them from the parents, if the school has them, whatever. For example, I'm representing Alfred State. We bring six cars. They're street legal. We bring three Chevy Volts, 2012 to 2013, Toyota Prius, about 2010, a Ford Fusion, about 2009, and a Honda Insight. This year, we're trying to borrow a 2022 Rivian from a local person to run. So, you know, whatever you can get your hands on. In the past, we've had modified vehicles, different aero packages, other items, but usually lately they've been mostly stock, EVs, hybrids, alternate fuels. What do you consider alternate fuel? Is it a hydrogen car? Is diesel considered an alternate? What's in that list? (laughs) When we used to run the cars around the lake, I think in the final year we had it, there were eight different fuels that our entries had. I think that was the record, possibly nine. So we hit a Stanley steamer. He didn't go the whole distance around the lake. He went maybe 20 miles. And we had a solar car, same story there. They didn't make it very far, but we said, sure, come on and it'll be a photo op, you know, and then you can explain your project car to all the students. Because really, one of our goals was and is to expose the students to as, as many different technologies as possible and get them really interested in all kinds of things that might be considered offbeat right now, but who knows what the future holds. We did have a hydrogen-powered Toyota Prius from the Vermont Department of Conservation that worked on bottled hydrogen. We've had fuel cell cars. We've had, of course, regular hybrids, EVs, vegetable oil powered diesels. We had a wood chip car, but we had to blackball him early on because he was stealing the show. Nobody else wanted to know anything else. He was a magnet. He provided the eye candy. This wood powered car was very interesting and very entertaining, but totally impractical. Then there has to be some sort of limitation to this, let's call it competition. It's not a race. It's sort of a rally. Let's call it a competition. Let's say I've got a diesel, even if it's lowly VW diesel, something like that from 20 years ago. If I set the cruise control, the diesel's super efficient. It's like barely running at 45 miles an hour. And even on the hills of uh, Watkins Glen with an automatic, the diesel's just going to build boost with the turbo and it's still pretty efficient. So how do you do, let's what we would call in the racing world, some sort of balance of performance. Are there things that the drivers aren't allowed to do? What are some of the exceptions to the rules here? One thing is like for diesels, we have different classes. So if we did have a diesel four cylinder, that'd be in its own class. It's not directly competing with a gas or an electric okay. for fuel mileage. And there are rules. The events is designed lately for uh, students, educate them about the vehicles. And most of the students, this is their first time on the track. So there's no drafting. Stay in the right-hand lane if you're passing, pass on the left-hand side. Don't just take all the apexes, you know, respect traffic. So how are passes handled? Are they point buys? I know you talked about get in the right lane, pass on the left, but are you using like typical almost HPDE style passing rules or how does that work? Basically, since we started running the boot last year, we have a standing rule. The boot's narrow with all the hills. There's no passing in the boot. Turn one, we want single file also, but pretty much everything is fair for passing. To include the uphill S's from two to four? Uh, They usually don't there. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't race car, but you know, hey... (laughs) 
And you've got to watch your mirrors uh, also because none of these cars have roll bars. They're just street legal cars. And this is a full SCCA time speed distance rally. And it's insured and sanctioned by the SCCA. Those are concerns we have to deal with. There is a tech inspection. The cars basically have to have safe tires, proper air pressures, lights, windshield wipers. For a stop class, there's a maximum limit on tire pressure. Obviously, higher pressure, less rolling resistance. You can't run four spare tires. You got to be street legal, you know. So we do have some rules, but we do have people in a modified class run different aero packages. You know, they'll add parts of the car, tails, whatever, trying to uh, increase aerodynamics. And some have done that with success. And we do limit a little bit pickup trucks. So, you know, high center gravity, no motorcycles, stuff like that. So there are some rules for safety. SUVs are allowed? Not normally, but this year we're going to try to run one of the Rivian SUVs that just came out. That has air suspension and with a low center of gravity of the battery and the floor, that can drop right to the ground. That has 15 inches of suspension travel. So as long as it's all the way down. We have had SUVs before, mostly hybrids. For example, the uh, Toyota RAV4 Prime got incredible fuel economy last year. I think it got something like 70 miles to the gallon off an SUV. It's unheard of. Of course, they were driving 45 miles an hour, but still, they're going uphill, down, and they had to manage everything just right in order to get that. And it becomes a game because you get instant feedback from these hybrids with the monitors that they have. It helps you drive it for maximum economy. So it's a challenge. So, you know, when I'm there, I bring a college 15-passenger van, and I give students that are watching rides around the track during the event staying out of people's ways so i think i get the worst fuel mileage How many cars are entered in an event? When we run a track event at the Glen, there's usually a equation of how many cars per mile. Usually it's between 40 and 45. Okay. 50 cars is really pushing it. We don't want a crowded racetrack. That's not bad. At the Glen being three and a half miles, you're doing better than you know 20 cars per mile. So that's pretty good. You'll still have trains either way because you don't have closing rates and things like that. So you do, let's say 80 miles of Watkins Glen. There's got to be some sort of break in there lunch, maybe some sort of tech talk, and then the autocrosses in the afternoon. Is that how the rest of the day plays out? Yes. Lunch is at noon, and we have a uh, seminar, which is going to be live streamed this year. Then in the afternoon, we're going to have some mock pit stops by the Alfred Motorsports Department on their EVSRs. It's a sport racing car that's all electric. And then also Cornell University is bringing their SAE formula car, which is all electric also. And they're going to do two different talks on that car, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. But the autocross, I think, starts about 1.45 and runs until maybe 4 o'clock, 4.15, something like that. And that's done with the same cars that were used for the on-track exercises, or are there a different dedicated set of cars for the autocross? Same cars, but we do have different rules. So the morning event is alternate fuel. You can have fuel-efficient gasoline vehicles, diesel, electric, or hybrid. The afternoon event, we narrow the field down. It's strictly only for electric cars or hybrid cars. And then you just score that on best run or whatever. Is that how it works? Uh, just regular SCCA, we got time. And the students have the opportunity. They can run... 15 runs throughout the day. They really have a lot of fun. Are they jumping between cars, trying different ones? What I do with my students, um, I'm going to be bringing about 45 students from out 
Crawford State. I have six dedicated drivers. I let them try five or six times to do the best I can. Then they'll start giving other students rides in the front seat as a passenger. Then they'll let the passenger try it. So a lot of the students get an opportunity to try it. And sometimes they'll swap cars just to get the experience. I want to know the inside baseball here. I want to know the super secrets. What are some of the things that people can do to maximize their competitive advantage when they're out there on the track? So are there some things you can share, some tips, or maybe even the pre-brief that you guys give to folks that might be helpful? As far as driving tips go for hybrids, it's really the same for any car. I remember when I was a kid, I read a book by Sterling Moss, and he said, a lot of people can drive fast, but very few drive fast smoothly. It's all about smooth driving and being easy on the car, using all the road when possible, just evening everything out, back off a little bit on the hills, but you can make up for it on the downhill sections. It's like hypermiling stuff, but not extreme because you don't want to drive in a dangerous way, but you just want to be consistent and even on the throttle. It's just good advice anyway. Actually, the event is kind of unique because the morning event is designed for maximum fuel mileage and efficient driving. But if you know what autocross is, fastest car wins. So that's the opposite it used for a hybrid. Fuel mileage doesn't matter. Tire wear doesn't matter. Drive it, you know? And we actually have our students practice a little bit ahead of time. We do a mock event. And then there's an awards dinner in the evening. So it's kind of an all-day affair, right? Yeah, we, we try to do it all in one day. As we kind of, let's say, wrap up the thought on this, how can people get involved? How can they help? What kind of help do you need? Do you need volunteers? Even looking to next year's program, you know, there's a lot of logistics. Even after 17 years of repetitive success, there's a lot that goes into this. So how can people get involved and what can they do? I would say that if listeners know someone that's an educator, either in a high school or at a college, tell them about it, direct them to the website, have them watch the live stream. It's something that we want as many schools as possible to compete. It would be great if we had no room for private owners and it was all just entries from schools. Right now, as it is, I think we've got maybe two thirds of our entries come from schools and one third private owners of unusual vehicles. So gentlemen, as we wrap out here, any final shout outs, promotions, or anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover thus far? There's one big thing I'd like to mention, and that is that this is an event that could be replicated throughout the country. But what would be needed is a Sports Car Club of America chapter that's near a racetrack that has a good relationship with them, a university or college nearby that has an auto tech program that's interested. And then you have to have a charity because this is an SCCA charity event. It's a charity road rally and SCCA allows every region to have one charity road rally per year. This is it for us. And, and it's the same throughout the country. The Doris Beauvais Memorial Foundation sponsors our event along with the Upstate Toyota Dealers Association is our primary sponsor and has been for years and years. And we are very grateful for their constant support. We're also very thankful for Watkins Glen giving us the use of the track. Just watch for the future because I think it's going to continue to grow. I hope it will be replicated and it's an awful lot of fun. 
The Green Grand Prix is an annual event that showcases and promotes environmentally friendly and fuel-efficient vehicles. The event typically includes demonstrations and competitions that test the fuel efficiency and emissions of vehicles, as well as seminars and exhibits on green transportation and related technologies. The Green Grand Prix aims to raise awareness about the importance of sustainable transportation and to encourage the development and adoption of clean, efficient vehicles. To learn more, be sure to log on to www greengrandprix.com or follow them on social at Green Grand Prix Corporation on Facebook. Jason and Bob, I can't thank you enough for coming on BreakFix and sharing the history of the Green Grand Prix, getting people excited about this. I'm looking forward to being at this event in person and being able to relay back some of the stories and the antics and things that are going on with this. So very excited to be a part of this this year and looking forward to seeing what happens next. Well, thank you very much. It's great to uh, have you promoting our event. And this is something that people need to know more about and needs to be discovered. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. Thanks. See you later. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember... Without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.